Once again, if you are new to us, um, we are in the middle of a consecutive expository series in the Gospel of Luke. Seeing Jesus in the Gospel of Luke is our subtitle, and we are now uh, getting into the 12th chapter starting today. Our scripture reading comes from Luke's Gospel Chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. I remind you, this is not the word of men. This is the word of the true and the living God. Hear it with great carefulness and attention. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware. Of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. After are not Five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why? Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues, And the rulers and the authorities. Do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. The grass withers, the flower fades, but God's word abides forever. Let's pray. Father, once again, we ask that in your light, we would see light, that Jesus would be our rabbi, that we will hear the soft sound of sandal feet, our Jesus, the one who came for us to bring us home to you. Father, today, help us receive these wise words as we follow you. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. 
Amen. Well, if you've been with us for some time now, Jesus has been very aware of a tremendous change. Most of his ministry had been in the upper Galilean region, but now Jesus is on a journey toward Jerusalem. Now that journey is going to go back and forth in a lot of other places before that final destination event comes. But Jesus knows that it is only a matter of time and it's growing. And yet the crowds are also growing. They're still at this point in time continuing to mass and team. Jesus, as we saw the last couple of weeks, more engagements with the Pharisees and then last week with the scribes. And all of that, all of those collisions with the religious leaders of the day, all of them, Jesus knew was part of the plan. As he was battling them, he knew that ultimately they would kill him. He knew that he had come to do his father's will. And Jesus knew his destiny, but he also knew that glory lay on the other side of the cross, not on this side. He knew the time was coming closer and closer. He was well aware that the time for glory would one day come, but that would not be until after the cross. And so, for now, those are the big pictures. Those are the big parameters, the things that Jesus obviously was weighed down with and carrying with a heavy heart is he knew that these are the realities that it would take in order to bring our salvation. And yet, right now, in this moment, Luke kind of gives us a little expression. In the meantime, he says, there is this tremendous crowd that is gathered. And at this point in time, the cross is not maybe as much on Jesus because at this point, Jesus will do well to not get trampled by the thousands and thousands of people that are flocking to hear him. That's exactly in the meantime when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another. But it was in that moment that Jesus cried out. He cried out. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. Today, we're turning, as I've said already, another chapter in the book of Luke, now in chapter 12. And this chapter contains a, a series of warnings and also a series of promises throughout this whole 12th chapter. 
We'll see some of those today, and then next time we'll see more of that, uh, both in those areas of warnings and promises. And some of them were warnings that were directed more to the crowds. Jesus had already spoken to the scribes and the Pharisees, but to those uncertain, waffling crowds who weren't really sure what, where they should be and where they stood, Jesus had words to say to them. And there were others that were specifically intended for his own disciples, his own followers. And we see that today as well. Here's how our outline goes for today. First of all, we're going to look at a word for the Pharisees. A word for the Pharisees. Secondly, a word for the fearful. And thirdly and finally, a word for the faithful. All right? That's our outline as we go along. Let's dig in. A word for the Pharisees. Now, already we know from the last two weeks, the Pharisees two weeks ago and the scribes last week, we know that Jesus has already said a very direct and a very pointed word to them, to both of those groups. But now he's saying it to his own, his disciples, his followers, and he's warning them to watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees. Jesus suddenly broke into a discourse directed to his disciples. And as I said, he was warning them against the Pharisees and their wily ways. Remember wily coyote? <laughs> well, they, they, they truly were wily, uh, out to get him. Jesus was basically saying to his own, to his disciples in that massive crowd, he was speaking directly to them, and he was like a reporter exposing the scams of the Pharisees for his followers. He was saying, you see these guys? They are hypocrites. Beware of them. Beware of them. Now, Jesus spoke to his disciples about, and he used the word leaven. Leaven. Everybody knows uh, that makes bread or is ever, you know, leaven is an important ingredient. Uh, and it has good purposes. And the point Jesus is making here is not about so much the purpose of, of leaven, but he is saying it's, it has some elements that are like the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. The warning about leaven is not about what it does, but the fact that once it's inserted, once it's there, present, it keeps on spreading. That's what leaven does. It doesn't just stay where you put it. Once it's activated, it starts and keeps growing and keeps growing unless you do something to tamp it down and to stop the process. And that's what Jesus is saying. They are like leaven. They are incessantly going on 
against the will of God. They oppose the scriptures. He's already pointed that out. And he's saying to them, listen, these guys, they look like the good guys. They, are, they tell you they're the good guys, but they are hypocrites. By the way, the word hypocrite, as most of you probably know, has its origins in Greek theater. Um, and a, a hypocrite used a mask and spoke behind that mask as a facade. So you couldn't see him, but you could hear what he was saying, but you couldn't see the face. Jesus warned against hypocrisy and instead called for transparency. Jesus was saying, if you're my disciple, don't be a hypocrite. Be transparent. Be honest. Be open. Be true. That's what Jesus was encouraging his disciples to do. Now, as for their hypocrisy, the Pharisees, of course, were rule makers, as you know. The only problem was they didn't keep the rules that they made. They made rules, and then they made it harder for other people to follow the rules, and then they never followed them in any way that was true and right. It's the old saying, rules for thee, but not for me. Rules for thee, but not for me. Now, Jesus then explained the futility of trying to hide the truth. He said, that's what these guys are. They're hypocrites. They're hiding behind their masks. But he said, I'm going to tell you something. This will not stand. For a while, they may be ascendant. And certainly when they take Jesus and try to kill him and accomplish that. But they will one day... Their futility cannot be hidden. It's going to be out in the open. Truth is going to be prevailing. In the present world, evil things are concealed. Where do we have to look for that? We can look, at, we can look uh, on our TVs, we can look at our devices, we can look into our own hearts, listen to our own conversations, where bad things, bad things, evil things are concealed. But the day is going to come. When the kingdom of God comes, everything will be exposed to the light of truth. There will be no place to hide. There will be no place to get in out of the fray. Some of these things are going to happen now. Some of these things are, there are already are times in history in which evil has been ensconced and yet ultimately is the light has broken open. Remember the, the line in, in, uh, I think it was 1536 when Tyndall was being burned at the stake in Scotland, I mean, in, uh, in Holland. And as he was, smoke was 
beginning in the fires to take him, one of the last things he said, God, open the eyes of the king of England. And part of that prayer was part of many prayers that began a reformation, a new reformation, a reformation of light, of light exposing darkness. And some of light will expose darkness here and now, in our time. Some of us may live to see it. Some of us may not. Some of us may see a true revival. A lot of people talk about revivals, but, but if, if you've ever been a part of a real Holy Spirit revival, that there's no accounting for anything. You can't say it's because of this person or that person. It, it's, it's hard to explain. And we may, those of us today, depending on our age, we may live to see such light giving, such expansion of light and things being brought into the light. Or we may not, but we will see it then. Some will see it now, all will see it then. That's what Jesus is saying. There is not anything that's hidden now that's not ultimately going to get revealed. It might get revealed here, in this place, in that place, or another, but it's all eventually going to be brought into the light. Now, there's also a word for the fearful. Having warned his disciples about the leaven of the Pharisees, Jesus addressed his followers as my friends. Imagine the, the king of glory, the savior of the world, would call you and me his friends. Not his servants, not his subjects. Those are that's all true. But he chooses to call us his friends. As the disciples saw the growing hostility of the religious leaders against Jesus, they may have begun to wondering, you know what? I, I'm kind of concerned when Jesus keeps doing this. He keeps poking the bear. These Pharisees and these scribes, and he just He's going to get himself in trouble. And you know what? He might get us in trouble. We're his disciples after all. They may have been getting rather concerned about whether they might be next on the target hit list that obviously Jesus already had the crosshairs or the, or the red dot showing up on his chest. But Jesus told them, whatever these leaders did, no matter what, whether the, the schemes of the Pharisees and the scribes, whether or not they were successful as they determined success, and whether it was bad news for the disciples and the followers of Jesus and for Jesus himself, no matter Jesus told them that whatever these leaders did, they could not hurt the disciples only temporarily here on earth. 
they could be hurt. They could be killed. And many Christians have down through the ages. But Jesus said that's the worst they can do. And if they do their worst, what does that put you and where does that take you? To where you want to be anyway if you really understood what was there and who was there. So he said, that's all they can do? But they can't touch your immortal soul. But he said, if they were going to be afraid, don't be afraid of those people who can kill you. The disciples should fear God. The fear of God It's one of the most important things to understand about our relationship with God. Yes, he's a father to us. But we always, even as a good father earthly, should still be respected and revered and honored. And so Jesus was saying, the disciples shouldn't be worrying about, because ultimately the worst that this world can do, will only advance them to where they really want to be. So what's the worst that can happen? But what we should be doing is living and walking in the fear of God. Not trembling and being afraid of God, but a gentle awareness and reverence of his person. That is the fear of God. And that should never leave a Christian. We can rejoice in God and love his fatherly goodness. That is true too. But we never forget to remember he is holy and just and righteous. And so, they were going to be afraid. Jesus said the disciples should fear God who has power over them now and in eternity. That's the one you better pay attention to. That's the the one that can kill your body, limited. The one that can kill your body and soul, that is the one you better pay attention to. That's the one you better listen to. Remember how the expression in the fourth verse of A mighty fortress is our God. um, Now I can't. I I had it memorized again, and now I can't pull it up. But basically, you you know, the body they may kill, God's truth abides still. His kingdom is forever. You know, let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abides still. His kingdom is forever. That's what Jesus is saying. That's that's the attitude that his disciples, his followers should have. Then Jesus told his followers that God is neither absent nor distracted, and he cares deeply for his own. He's now told you this heavy thought, and now he says, by the way, do you guys know how much my father cares for you and how much I care for you? He reminded them that God cares. If he cares for a 
four or five scrawny sparrows. Now, by the way, in the in in the in the uh, market, that's like about like about two cents worth. I mean, almost no value. And he says, if you guys, my followers, you ladies and gentlemen, you if if God cares for those worthless, virtually worthless little creatures that have no real value, no real assets, if he cares for them, what do you think he's going to be doing for you? He cares for you. Jesus reminded them that he cared so intimately and keeps count even to the hairs on our head. Whoops. <laughs> I used to have some. <laughs> yeah, the follicles are there, so, the, you know, that's, uh, um, you know, but that, it, it's just amazing that he's telling the disciples, his disciples, if Jesus, if my father cares for little sparrows, can you imagine how much he cares for you? That's what he's saying. You have no comprehension. Listen to verse 7b. He says, why even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Now surely, they can rely on his love and care for them and for eternity. If we fear God, we need not fear men. If we fear God, we need not fear men. Surely, they can rely on his love and care for them now and in eternity. I want you to listen to this quote by R.C. Sproul, the late, uh, great R.C. Sproul. He says, a healthy fear and respect for God should always be balanced by our confidence that in God's sight we are of are of exceedingly great value. Yes, God knows us intimately, knows the secrets that we harbor in our hearts, and yet we should not allow our fear of divine disclosure to drive us to despair. Rather, it should drive us to embrace the redemption that is ours in Christ. God loves you. That's what he's saying. Your father loves you. Nothing escapes the notice of our omniscient, all-knowing God. Not even details about ourselves that we don't even remember or recognize. We know some of the things that we've done wrong. 
probably a lot of them. Some of us have got a pretty big stack of wrongs, failures. But God knows them all. And he still loves you if you're his, if you put your faith in him. Finally, a word for the faithful. A word for the faithful. It all comes down to the choice of allegiance. It all comes down, will you identify with Jesus no matter what? Or, when the going gets tough, will you become a sunshine patriot? Will you become one that says, uh, it's getting a little hot here. I, 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 I was all in on this, but man, this is getting serious now. I think I'll just uh, move further back down the line here. Many people in the early church, they were known as the lapsed. They had been followers of Christ, and the persecution got tough. And for some of them, the tough didn't get going. The tough got gone. They walked out. They left the church. They left following Jesus. Jesus is saying, will you identify with me, come what may? Those who acknowledge Jesus before human beings will receive, Jesus said, a due reward. The Son of Man, that is Jesus, will acknowledge them before the angelic host of heaven. That's a pretty big acknowledgement. But notice that our Lord's confession of true disciples in heaven suggests a great, great reward. But here's something very important to understand. Being faithful and obedient to Jesus, being faithful and identify with him, and say, Jesus, where you go, I will go. Where you go, I will follow. Remember that obedience to this implied command, however, is not a means of salvation. It's not the way to be it, get saved, to be saved. It is not a means of salvation. It is an indication of salvation. It's not because they've been so faithful. It's not because they held on when others were falling. It just shows that they are, it's an indication that they truly are the followers of Jesus. You see, we are saved, how? By grace through faith alone, in Christ alone. By grace alone, through faith alone, that's the instrumentality, and in Christ alone. He's the one that did it. He's the one that accomplished our salvation. Now, notice verse 10. This is one of those hard sayings of Jesus. 
in verse 10, and everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Now, a lot of you, if you've been Christians for a long time, you've run across that. And it's one of those thorny, how, how do you explain that? How, how do we understand that? Well, one thing in context Matthew 12, 25 through 36, and Mark 3, 23 through 30. Both of those other gospel writers seem to indicate that blaspheming the Holy Spirit is giving Satan credit for the works of God. That's exactly what Jesus was doing. They were saying, you're doing this by the power of the devil. And here Jesus was doing the works of God. That was an example of that. But listen a little bit, fill this out a little bit more, because this is a thing that, that gets a lot of people confused. And I think, think this uh, uh, might help. This is from Philip Ryken um, in his commentary. And also he quotes from Herman Bobbing. If some of you know that name, uh, he was a Dutch theologian. But I want to read this whole thing together and, and see if we can kind of come to a, a, a grip on this. He's, uh, Riken says, It is of the very nature of the case that such a person, talking about a person that might end up being guilty of the sin, the unpardonable sin, it is of the very nature of the case that such a person hardened by sin will not be forgiven. Not because of any deficiency in God's grace, but because such a person denies the only gospel that can ever save anyone. To deny the means, the gospel that can save, and yet they deny there is no such salvation. The great Dutch theologian Herman Bobbing thus described blasphemy against the Holy Spirit as, quote, a sin against the gospel in its clearest revelation, not in doubting or simply denying the truth, but in a denial which goes against the conviction of the intellect, against the enlightenment of the conscience, against the dictates of the heart. It is a conscious, willful, and intentional imputation to the influence and working of Satan of that which is clearly recognized as God's work. It's clearly recognized this was God's work. That's exactly what Jesus was doing a few chapters ago. And yet they were saying it's of the devil. In a willful declaration that the Holy Ghost is the spirit of the abyss. And that truth is a lie. And that Christ is Satan himself. 
aligned, become one, essentially, with the evil one. If that's how hardened you are, if that's how anti-gospel you are, that's the unpardonable sin. But all other kinds of sins, that, that, that is so, it's a special case. You see, if we remain loyal to Jesus, at some times, or in some circumstances, persecution will be unavoidable. Maybe not for you, but maybe for you. Or maybe not for me, but maybe for someone else. In some times and in some circumstances, persecution will not be avoidable for some of the followers of the Lamb. We have, generally speaking, those of us that are hearing my voice live today, most of us don't have any experience with true dangerous persecution that kills the body. We might have that again. And if time goes on and the Lord tarries, it will. Because Jesus said, you will have persecution. Count on it. Maybe not in your time. Maybe not in your circumstance. But the followers of Jesus while some may not be in such circumstances, others will and presently are. You can pick up a book and it's thick of the persecuted church. And we're talking about in the present. Not 500 years ago. Not 1,000 years ago. If we remain loyal to Jesus, persecution may be our lot. And I believe if something doesn't change, it might be coming sooner than you think. I hope not. I pray not. But it might be coming. We are really, really off the rails. Morally. Great evil. And that evil is becoming more and more dangerous but the point Jesus is saying maybe at a certain time you know if you were in the 7th century and you're up on a, the wall and you looked out over the day starting another new day and you saw something coming over the horizon a bunch of ships, longships, Danes. And they came and they stole, they killed, they raped, they pillaged, they burned. And that went on for several centuries, on and off. You might have lived through the period where it was an off. But the point is, some of us will, some of us may not. But Jesus is saying, remember, a servant is not greater than his master. 
Jesus was saying that to his disciples, remember? He's saying, if they do this to me, why would you be surprised if things get hairy and rough for you? But ultimately, they can't harm either one of us. That's what he's trying to encourage. That's what he's trying to say to his followers. Jesus has told us not to worry. Even if such things come, not to worry. And better yet, when they are persecuted, they will discover that the Holy Spirit is with them and will tell them what they should say. You remember the situation in Luther, the Diet of Worms, when he stood up and said, I am, he was scared to death. He was shaking like a leaf the night before. He was thinking of every way he could to get out of there, to sneak out of there. But God, the Holy Spirit, came and, sp and gave him the courage to stand up and say, here I stand. My conscience is bound. I can do no other. Guys like Bonhoeffer, strung, wire, choked to death, so many others. But Jesus is saying, even if that happens, that's not the worst that can come to my followers. He said, come what may. He promises what? That he will never leave us or forsake us. He never will leave his own. Remember Matthew 28? Behold, I am with you even until the end of the age. I'm with you. And there is no greater thing, no greater promise than that. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've sent your son to be the savior that we need and to be the one that is with us in the, through the Holy Spirit always, even until the end of the age, until the end of all things, until all things are made right in him. Father, we thank you for your promises for your care for us. Oh Lord, why? We do not know, but we thank you. And we ask, Lord, accept our praise. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name.